Hello team and welcome to episode 348 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ari Tula. Ari is an entrepreneur, investor, and co-founder of Elo Health, whose mission is to transform food from being the leading source of disease to the leading source of medicine. We are all very aware of the difficulties that we can face if we are not conscious of the foods that we're consuming or if we're not consciously looking after our health. Obesity, diabetes, heart disease continue to be on the rise and although we have the awareness of what being overweight and having poor food choices can do, still so many of us are facing this challenge. And you have to stop and think, is there another way? And that's exactly what Ari and I break down today. In this episode, you can expect to learn what the difference is between your lifespan and your health span, what impact technology could have on our health and well-being in the near future, along with what may be the most simple solution to the challenges that we're facing with our health and well-being that's right under our noses. So without further ado, Ari Tula. Ari Tula, welcome to the show. How are you today? Uh, thank you, Elliot. Uh, great to be here. I'm excited to have you here and looking forward to the topics that we're going to dive into today. But for those who may have not come across the work that you do or yourself before, can you give us a bit of context about who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, so happy to dive in a little bit on, on my background and um, what I've been doing in the past. But, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, um, spent the last decade and a bit more in, in healthcare building uh, three different companies. And um, before that, I was a technologist. I spent uh, about another decade in the world of uh, video games mainly. Um, so I think, you know, I come from come for the area of, uh, you know, nutrition and health and wellness uh, from the perspective of, uh, of tech mainly. And um, I've been an athlete also all my life. So I, I, I'm from Finland. And uh, as many, many Finnish, you know, boys, they... I played hockey for my youth and, and never became an NHL star as I was hoping to, but you know, uh, not everybody can get all that all the way. Uh, and, uh, but you know, I got a lifelong passion on, on activities and, and, you know, sports and so forth. And, and last 25 years, I've been pretty actively, you know, doing rock climbing and, uh, and also doing a lot of uh, board sports from, from, you know, surfing to, to snowboarding to, other things and and lately you know, I've been also doing a lot of uh, little cycling and and mountain biking which is I think a great sport for uh older <laughs> older men like like myself uh but yeah my my goal really is to is to build healthcare companies that are making you know uh people's lives better and um I've been dabbling in um, in building a company in helping people find a doctor that became a pretty good and a big big play and then I was helping big enterprise companies in the U.S. to create better doctor networks to help people access healthcare better. And for the last years, I've been, I've been working now in nutrition and, and trying to build this new idea of, uh, of uh, smart nutrition. So think about uh, making your supplementation, your protein powder, and even your meals smarter and, and more tailored for you. And the underlying kind of, kind of fact there is that I, we're trying to focus on this concept that you know is very old um uh, food is medicine and uh, and today of course as we all know uh food is kind of considered to be almost poison uh but food can also heal you if you do it right yeah this is fascinating concepts and so things that we're going to jump into a little bit more in just a moment but i want to take a, a little bit of a step back and you mentioned that in the early days of your career you prioritized being more in the technological aspect you also mentioned in another podcast i heard you speak on that you also worked for nokia as well when did you make that decision from saying well i'm going to focus primarily on technology to focusing more on healthcare and providing that for people yeah i'm, I'm a very typical um person in a sense who who uh, became a health uh, entrepreneur uh, most people like myself um, we had a, a personal story uh, a personal reason uh, to do that and because you know healthcare there's nothing fun about it it's very complicated um, it's messy it's hard uh, it's just a very complex field in in general but um, at the same time there's a there's a massive reward if you can build you know, things that people can get benefit. Because as we all know, when you get sick, you are at your weakest and you really need help. And, uh, and if you think about your life, you know, when everything goes well, you worry about mundane. But when you get sick, then that becomes the only thing that matters. Absolutely. Uh, think about complicated illness, like, you know, even like, you know, 
obesity for many people, but you know, cancer and and other heart diseases are, you know, it, when it's about life and death, you know, that's the only thing that matters. And and for my myself, I think um, I got um, got a wake up call very early in in, in my life in a way that um, my my wife had a had a thyroid uh, tumor about uh, about 20 22 years ago so it was a young you know very you know healthy uh 20 year old and suddenly you know you 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 kind of wake up and you realize that you have something wrong in you and uh, um the other thyroid had to be removed as a you know pretty big uh tumor taken away at the same time luckily there was no life-threatening um impact but what happened is that she was basically uh because of the thyroid removal um, she got into autoimmune diseases, hormonal imbalances, many of these unknown unknowns we don't really know about. And when you are 20 or 25, whatever, and you realize that, you know, um, you know, somebody that you love, you know, is facing uh, kind of the mortality, you also start to think about the world differently. And we, we basically got the verdict after this um, operation that uh, we can never get pregnant, we can never have family. And, and that was a tough thing when, you know, you find the uh, find your spouse in a way and and you find you know the person you want you want to spend your time with and uh, we spent about 10 years to try to overcome that by different things we work with you know western and eastern medicine and in the end we found that uh, food actually was able to help her uh, lower inflammation get rid of the autoimmune conditions and actually be able the, the body was able to heal itself and and today we have uh, we have two Two healthy kids you know, roaming around here in in <laughs> in the pool right now, and um, it's uh, it's pretty cool. When you know you you learn yourself that you know food can be this healing function. So that made me a believer. And and when I we had a completely unrelated incident happened uh, with our first uh, first son who, who who passed away ten years ago. And that was the time when I decided to, you know, spend my my time in in healthcare, and and I was working on on uh, on mobile games and stuff that was growing rapidly and you know very cool space at the time, and uh, but you know I decided that you know I I want to be doing something that is more valuable for me as a person, and it's been a, one of the best decisions in my life that you know I I made it change because um, I've been able to build things that you know actually have helped people, and I've been able to connect with this sort of new group of people who are doctors and healthcare workers and people in wellness and nutrition and you know I learned completely new trait and um, it's been it's been super rewarding so I, I speak a lot you know publicly about uh, the fact that uh, if you are you know 20 something and you want to make your mark in life and world um, do you really want to you know go and try to build another photo sharing a social networking app or another game I think you can also look around and do something in 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 healthcare, for example, that could be more meaningful. And uh, usually, the people who are working in healthcare are more like looking like me, who are you know in their forties or fifties, and who already had that moment that they they you know decided to change the uh, the trajectory. Um, but you know, you, you don't need to be that old. You can be do it as a younger age as well. Oh, what an incredible story! And like you said, you had that moment of realization that you could do something that has a little bit more meaning and you've really followed that passion and you had a heavy heavy reason why to do it as well which is amazing i think that we get many calls in life and i think that when we listen to them and we kind of head straight down that route they usually bring beautiful things and it sounds like it's done exactly that for you as well and obviously you touched on the fact that food can indeed be medicine so how do we transform food from being the leading cause of disease as you put it to medicine yeah it's a it's a hundred billion dollar question or maybe a trillion dollar <laughs> question <laughs> it's one of the biggest things i think um you know of course when we think about the the things we worry about i mean last few years um uh, many of us have been been worrying more about health and uh, our, our loved ones health than ever before in our life many more people had that realization that you know we are mortal we life is finite because of covid i mean we all know somebody who who died or passed away too early and and that's of course sad but also it was a wake-up call for many people to look in a mirror and say what what can i do about it like can i take control of that i mean if i have underlining conditions i'm let's say i'm 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 obese i'm <clears throat> i have diabetes type 2 diabetes um i have all these different things in my body 
that are making me vulnerable for for the COVID. And and many people thought about like, what could I do? Could I change something? And I think there are there are huge motivation now around the world for people to take the control of their life. And and I think we many of us, we almost all of us know, I think, what to do, how to. And we don't we don't we don't want to eat you know too much sugar. Uh, we don't want to eat too much. Uh, we need to move a bit more. We need to sleep better. We need to stress less. I mean, very easy to say, but very difficult to implement in your life because you then open your telly or you 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 know look at the billboard or you walk in a grocery store, and every that everything that's advertised to you is something that you should never probably eat. There's never like a, there's no ad group for kale and and veggies and the good stuff. I mean, the water doesn't have an ad council in a way. So it's just silly in a way that, you know, we, everything we are bombarded with today is something that, you know, is unhealthy. So how can you make a decision to, you know, live healthily if everything that, you know, is around you is, is, is talking opposite? And how can you even believe, you know, in your mind that you know that, you know, this stuff that I'm maybe eating is, is poisonous in the long term? But you don't see the impact immediately. It happens over time in the 10 or 15 years. And at the same time, you basically are then seeing all this advertising and all the lore around you, people doing this. So you can't really believe it can be that bad. Many people tell me that if it would be that bad, wouldn't be banned. And then I, I always respond that, you know, I mean, think about in the, in the 70s, even early 80s in some place in the world, there were doctors who were advertising cigarettes. I mean, if you go back in the U.S. in the 50s and 30s, most of the the, the cigarette brands had a doctor endorsing it. Uh, so, like, you know, it, it lowers your stress level and, and whatnot. So, I mean, that was the world less than 100 years ago enough. around the world. And even, like, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that was silly. And now we think about, you know, smokers, like, you know, you are killing yourself. We all know that. And if you look at the younger generations... They don't even smoke. I mean, nobody's smoking anymore. It's, just, it's, it's done. So I think the same will happen now with the, with the processed food that is not really real food at all. It's a cocktail of um, you know, salt and sugar and fat built into this sort of addictive mass that is, is just really not good for you. And it's really not good for your brain because it is really addictive. I mean, sugar is almost as addictive as heroin uh, for a lot of people. So that's just a kind of bit, bit of an overlay where we are and what to do about it. I think we have to probably regulate by by government. Um, we have to vote with our, you know, uh, elections. We have to vote with our, our our wallet as people. But it will likely be like tobacco that there has to be a new generation of of people coming in who will then change the course. Many people likely can't make the change themselves. There has to be systems built around it. But governments have little appetite in, at least in the US, maybe a bit more in Europe. Um, I, mean, I mean, you are now in, in Mexico, and I think, you know, you like, likely have seen that, you know, yes. there's the labeling today in Mexico. And that's really powerful. Like, if you, if you go and look like a candy aisle, or you go to the cookies aisle, most of the product have labeling telling that this product has a uh, lot of saturated fat, it's it's processed heavily. Excess sugars, exactly. yeah, excess fats, exactly. So the two countries, Mexico and then uh, Chile, who were the first ones to implement this, and there has been a big impact on people's health. And I believe that every country in Europe, for example, are going to have this uh, in the next you know, five to ten years. US, I don't know if we can <laughs> ever do that. We're gonna, people are going to be against it because you know, it's against the free will of people. Of course, we can't tell them that you know, you're killing yourself. That's not cool. <laughs> I see the utility of this situation and the direction that it's heading in, but I struggle to feel that we're close. I don't know about you. Obviously, I didn't live through the 70s and the 80s to understand the big fad of smoking and how its impact was on every single person on a day-to-day -day basis. But when I see food today, like you see industries of restaurants and fast food places and people's social lives being built around drinking and eating. And I don't know if I'm correct in saying this, but I don't feel like cigarettes had as much of a pull as the industry of restaurants and fast food does right now. And the industry of like marketing when it comes to the amount of fast food options and candy bars and everything like that that's advertised on a day-to-day -day basis. So how far do you feel that we're 
away from this because if I'm in Mexico and I see the sign saying excess fat and excess sugar, but I also go outside and I see, you know, a big billboard for KFC. So it's, it feels a little far away from me. So how close do you see it being? I mean, we are, we are in the, in the very beginning. Um, it's kind of like the same as global warming that, you know, or climate change that, you know, we, it's a very difficult thing to, to solve. And, uh, in the, in the, I mean, you're right. Tobacco is, I mean, you don't need to smoke. Yes. I mean, smoking is addictive. Smoking was made very cool at some point, not like today when it's uncool. Uh, but people smoke because it was kind of like a, uh, more like a James Dean did it. I do it. It's like, you know, I, I'm a rebel in a way. I, I do it because it's something that I can do for myself, uh, moment with me, um, and all this stuff. But you know, food, of course, as, as you said, you know, we eat every day. Uh, one to five times or even more you can't you know if you don't eat for two weeks you you're gonna be you know not not good um so you you have to eat and, and we are we are i mean this whole notion i think that you know um i, I mean in, in french Polynesia right now and friends of course they talk about this a lot and, and they love food like you know italians there's a different culture and food healthier i think than in the u.s or in even in in, in uk but they often often think about this like am i here to eat like is eating really the the purpose of being or am i eating to feed and fuel myself and many people they you know eating is is a one of the key pieces of their life and and we have had you know culture of breaking bread and 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 feeding people together having a meal together for thousands of years i mean that's one of the reasons why we became what we are like humans are basically here partially because we we invented you know fire and we were able to cook together and eat in a groups of people our praying crew because you know we were able to eat more nutritious food after cooking and all this stuff so there's a lot of you know impact this is a fundamental thing makes us who we are as as humans and also culture like what is you if i'm a finn you know, you're pretty right. So what makes us who we are? I mean, food is a big part of the lore. Uh, we already lost, you know, most of us lost our money <laughs> already. We have euro or whatever we have. You guys are still having a pound. But, you know, the point is that you have this sort of dilemma that what is, wh- who am I? What is it to be a Finn or be an American or so forth? And food, of course, is a big piece of it. So, I mean, it is a very difficult thing. Like, how do we, we are not only changing the way we eat, but we are, we're going to change culture. But the good thing is that you can make any food, you can make it to be poisonous or you can make it to be pretty healthy and it, it will taste about the same. And it's just the way how you make it. Of course, making the healthier may be a bit more expensive. Uh, so I, like I said already, you have to think about this in a way. There has to be a government intervention. There has to be more education. There has to be uh, taxation, uh, making the stuff that is expensive, the, the bad stuff more expensive, like sugar and so forth. But those are things that are very difficult to get done. And then I think, you know, only thing I see working today is the grassroots level where there are people who are preaching about this. I'm, I'm, I'm a tiny voice in this, this, you know, group. And, and, you know, I think companies like what, what I'm trying to build that are making it easier for people to do the right thing. And I think if I'm a, I'm a technologist. So if I, if I look at it from that perspective, the number one thing that I believe in myself is that if we are able to build better measurements on food and nutrition in real time basis, then we can actually change people's behavior. Because if you can measure something, you can improve it. And that's why like glucose monitoring, um, you know, even like keto monitoring, those are things that you can do in real time basis. And it will give you feedback loop about what are you doing that is good or bad for you. And if you can do something good and you can see the outcomes after it, then you're going to build a feedback loop that will be positive. Um, and if you see a negative feedback loop, then you likely will stop doing something. So that is, in my opinion, the key thing that I'm trying to work on. Like, can we build feedback loops on nutrition that are helping people to measure and quantify the impact on their bodies? Yeah, I think education is a big part of the puzzle here. And those like yourself who are kind of battling the pharmaceutical industry and everything along those lines. But there's more and more voices and more and more people doing this at this moment. And I think it's the wisest way to do it because if we're looking at a government intervention, you know, there's, we're not going to get into politics here, but 
there's a lot of people who are taking advantage, mainly in the pharmaceutical industry, of people's poor decisions with their nutrition and with their health. And, you know, then all of a sudden they can charge for uh, diabetes medication or anything like that. And we saw that in COVID as well, the ridiculous prices of uh, PCR tests and all these other things when realistically, and the vaccines as well, of course, whereas realistically, like if the objective was just to have people healthy, it wouldn't be an issue to have to, you know, not have enough to send around the world or to have to pay ridiculous amounts for these certain tests and everything along those lines and a certain percentage of fees absolutely but and a ridiculous profit made from pharmaceutical companies and others is you know it shows the real incentive and priorities behind these companies and then obviously the connection that has with the government and all the things that have been done to get that into the country as well so i think education and like you said making people aware of what they can feel like the real data and how the impact of food can really feel because that's the biggest thing in my work as well it's like when people get to a stage where they do want to transform their health and I am allowed to show them and give them some ideas of how to improve their nutrition and they start to feel it, then they truly believe it. So I think that going down that route is enormous. Yeah, I think the the, the feeling thing is a, is, a, is an interesting one. And you know, you know that probably better than most. I mean, I think people will feel the difference fairly quickly, but then feeling is, is a very kind of uh, soft and touchy thing. <laughs> and, and people are very different. And um, and you you like to know this, but um, just for for the sake of you know maybe people haven't heard about it. But if you think about men and women, men tend to be much worse at actually being able to feel the impact of anything or feel how their body feels. So most men today, they they don't know if they are thirsty or hungry. Most people end up eating when they would need to drink water, and that is one reason why we eat too often and too much. And um, it's interesting when you have, like my, my wife who, you know, has went through a few pregnancies, uh, she has this sort of a superpower and, you know, having illness for a long time. I mean, she has superpower of feeling her body in a way that I have no ability. Like, you know, she can, when she's getting sick, she can kind of feel that, you know, I, I'm actually getting sick, like, and knows how. <laughs> I don't, I can't fathom how, how she's doing that. And I've been doing a lot of things like um, I wore a glucose monitor, for example, for a couple of years myself, and I still still use it quite often. And in that case, I learned uh, because I, I can't do rice, I can't do corn, I can't do those things that my ancestors never had. My my glucose will spike quickly and then drop off under seventy, and uh, whatever you. What it, whatever the, the measurement is in different countries, they're different in some place. But anyway, the point is that, you know, I do that. And over the year or two, I learned to feel the glucose going up. So I, I have this feeling in my, or maybe like a, a sound in my inner ear that I can actually feel it. And, and that is a new skill I created for myself after having the technology to help me kind of guiding my, my feelings. So I have a hope that in the coming years, we are able to build systems that are able to build us these senses. And then we don't need to use the tech. We can just, you know, feel it in our body. But we have to first teach our body to understand those senses. Yeah, absolutely. And a good example of this is HRV testing, right? We can see after a few bad scores on the HRV reading that there's probably a sign that we're going to start to feel unwell in some days if, yeah, the scores start to change in a way and we're not really sure why we're still training, eating and sleeping the same way that we would usually do, yet the return on the screen, whether it's for an aura ring or a different app, it tends to be, you know, heading in one certain direction. And then obviously that can teach you, okay, when I'm starting to feel a little bit run down, I give you a prediction of that as well. And obviously you invested in aura as well. I heard you mention on another podcast that you are an investor in 50 companies. Is that correct? Am I correct in saying that? Yeah. So when, when we had, you know, the, the, um, drama in our, our family, I mean, we decided to also, uh, pull up some of the, our, our capital and then built this small family office called uh, Duke Adventures. And we invest in um, in kind of companies focused on, on human health, human performance, and um, and helping people to live with better nutrition. And um, and I think Aura was one of the first companies we invested with a bit of money uh, in the very beginning of the company. And um, it's been really fun to... I mean, look, why we do that? We we are not like we don't have millions and millions of dollars to invest, but you know, we we want to join companies early, and 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 if we can, we try to help them a little bit. And we, at minimum, we are uh, you know loyal, passionate uh, super users, 
and and with Aura, I think you know it has been really fun to follow. I mean, I knew the the founders uh, already. They are from my hometown in Oulu, in Finland, so I, I knew some of them very early, and um, and they it's been it's been interesting to see a company that kind of invented this idea of a ring that you can measure your sleep, and now activity as well, um, and see how they built the product over time. It was very clunky and a big thing in the beginning, and then over the years it became smaller and more beautiful. And, and now I think it looks nice. It's like titanium, and it's like just a really cool-looking piece of um, of tech. And now millions of people are wearing one. So um, I learned a lot by by following them closely, and and saw some of the key decisions that they made. Like they decided to go to um, sleep, uh, not really the activity, and that was the right call for them. And now I think they are winning this new market on a who who dominates the the hand the ring. <laughs> and, and many you know if you look at look at celebrities you know you can go from you know LeBron to many newscasters they have an aura ring today. And I think in, if you go to Silicon Valley like you know you walk in San Francisco half the people have one. So it, it becomes becomes completely dominant. And I think they're going to sell many many millions or more rings because it actually is a good thing. And your point about HRV is is super interesting. Um, so I'm from a small town in Finland, in the same town that they invented um, this uh, small company called Polar Electro. And Polar, of course, is the company making watches, uh, more for like you know triathletes and stuff like that. And and they, I think, were part of inventing the whole HRV idea. And they invented the heart rate uh, strap that you put in your chest. And uh, but you know I've been measuring HRV for myself. I mean for more than twenty years as an athlete, and I never train if my HRV is too low. And I was just you know like uh, checking out when we were speaking here, like my my <laughs> my sleep from last night. Uh, I mean yeah, it's like I had a I had maximum two hundred and forty HRV last night. So I mean I'm I'm a kind of vacationing person, so I'm sleeping really well. But you know. It uh, looks like uh, my 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 whoop score is 99 today for for recovery. So happily gonna go go do stuff today. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the thing, right? You can probably feel it within yourself. You probably get reinforcement by the data. But at this stage, like you said, you had that little bit of technological help, but actually, you probably already knew that you felt ready and good to train today, right? Yeah, but I think that's the funny thing. I, I've been talking to a lot of and and you know we we are involved in like you know many type of companies to be invested in monitoring space, like not only, you know, sleep or activity, but also, you know, glucose and sweat and, and urine and, you know, DNA and microbiomes, a lot of different places that, you know, we can collect data. But HRV is simple. Uh, but think about this. I think it's fun, fun idea for, for people to think, like, how many, how many gold medals, how many championships have been lost by people waking up at the wrong time in the morning? when they were deep in the REM sleep and you are, you are croaky when you, you can sleep really well, but if you wake up middle of a REM sleep, you're going to feel like, ah, something is off. So how many people went to the Olympics and they woke up just in the wrong time in the morning and then they never won the medal that they were training for all their life? How many normal people like us, you know, are going to go into the meeting or to the top interview or, or the date that we felt croggy because we woke up in the wrong time. So I think, you know, it's a nice thing to know that, you know, at least the data is telling you that, you know, you should be okay performing. And sometimes, you know, the data tells you that you are not okay. And then you maybe know a bit earlier that you might be getting sick, you might have a flu or you might have, you know, COVID or whatnot. So I think it's pretty, pretty cool to have that data. And that's really, I think, the first, you know, first incarnation of this idea of a feedback loop I talked about. And I mean, I can attest that, I, I see a lot of these new ideas and the new science happening right now. And I can tell everybody that, you know, it's going to be a very cool world in a decade from now. There's so much new stuff coming up and, and there will be many, many companies that are building like a, like a, you don't need to have a ring, you don't need to have a watch. You can have a small patch on your back that will measure almost all the functions in your body. And that will talk directly to your phone and or cloud and basically give you guidance and even like guide your doctor and even diagnose like serious illnesses. So that's happening soon. And, and then of course, later you're going to have a, maybe a, an, an implantable thing in your, in your bloodstream 
that can measure you in more even in detail and can maybe last like a year the battery so you don't need to switch all the time so there's some school stuff happening right now and i, I can't wait wait to see these things in the market yeah and with all the things coming along and all the advancements in the technology that you see how do you know whether it's the right decision to make an investment in a certain company because there's a lot of phases there's a lot of fads there are a lot of things that seem like they have an enormous amount of potential but then they don't tend to follow through so what's your decision making process when it comes to some of the companies that you come across, some of the people and the innovators with these ideas? How do you know that this one is going to be the one? Well, I try to be you know, involved myself in a way that I want to try out the early, early prototypes and I have tested many hundreds of things early. Many of them have died, never saw the light of day. Um, but, and I think you know, in the end when you are building a company or you're building anything, it doesn't need to be a company, but it's about the people. Um, do the people have the motivation? Do the people have the tenacity to, to spend a decade on doing something? And, and that's more important than anything. So I tend to invest in people that I already know and, um, and, and then to you know, work with people who maybe have built one or two companies already. Usually the first one you fail. <laughs> maybe the second one you... But there's a, there's a book, um, if anyone is interested about you know, founder, founding companies and whatnot, there's a book called Super Founders. So Super Founders is a, is a look on data on like 2,000 startups that became unicorns or, you know, billion dollar valuation or more. Um, and then they looked at companies that didn't. And they were looking at what is the difference between the founder team or the founders or the ideas. And they found out that there was not really many things that correlated. But the one thing that correlated the most is that when people had already founded one company, even if it failed, the second one was more likely to be success. So that's, I think, the, the funny thing in life that, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you, you want to try again and you want to get back on track and, you know, just do it again. Yeah, that's a very good uh, thing to think about when you're looking into the investments as well. And you've co-founded a company called Elo and you spoke to us earlier a little bit about smart nutrition. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, I would love to. So um, at Elo, we, we are trying to um, build this idea that we call smart nutrition. So what is smart uh, uh back in, like you said i back in the days i worked at at nokia you know the four small Finnish cell phone company that basically invented the, the cell phone and the smartphone and then apple and, and google android they ate the ate the lunch and, and nokia uh sold uh the, the phone division back back in the days to microsoft uh but what nokia did nokia built the first phones that were doing video had a web browser had email you know, all these things that we think now are the core building blocks of a smartphone. And, and Nokia didn't name those devices smartphones. And I, I was there in a room and, you know, people were thinking about what, what to name these things. And, and we called them mobile computers. But I think there was a smartphone name on the wall somewhere that we did not pick. And then that was a mistake because smartphone was the word that really kind of is telling you what the devices are. And just to kind of put it into context, like what is a smart device? It can be your car, your Tesla. It can be your home now, home monitoring, whatever you have. It can be the, you know, the what. What makes these things smart is the fact that, you know, uh, they are personal to you. So think about your phone. It's the most personal device you have. It's like it has your apps. It has your contact, your loved ones, whatever, your photos and videos. Uh, it's also precise. It's very technically, you know, sophisticated there's a lot of you know new chips and, and tech and radios and so forth and it's also becoming now proactive think about like uh, what people love about tesla the most almost is the fact that when you buy a new tesla and you have your phone with you and the phone is the is the key you walk into the car and automatically when you open the door the the, the mirrors are going to move uh the the seat is going to move the right position and you get the right, you know, playlist playing there. And, you know, your, your spouse or your, your friend would go to the same car. Uh, it would be a different experience. So that is about the proactiveness. So we've been trying to think at Elo whether we could do the same thing for nutrition. Could we make, let's say, supplements and the powders and proteins and whatnot? Could we make meals, food delivery to be similar, to be personal to you, to be, you know, precise, grounded in real science, real evidence, and then finally be proactive, getting better over time. So that's what we've been uh, working now for a few years. And we have two products out in the market. The first one we got out two years ago is basically a blood test 
blood biomarker-based uh, supplementation. So we do uh, at-home uh, blood work collected uh, with the finger prick. We test the blood, and then we give you supplements based on uh, the blood data, your health questionnaire, and we even pair you with the dietitian. So you work one-on-one -on -one with, uh, with the real person who is a nutrition expert. And the new product we got out uh, a moment ago is uh, Smart Protein. So in that case, you, you can do blood testing. You don't have to. But you can basically connect uh, your health and fitness devices and wearables and apps into Elo by Apple Health. And then we give you a protein powder that can also contain boosts that are basically supplements in the powder. Uh, but we design it based on your workout history. And, and of course, we can make it whey. We can make it vegan, pea. Um, we can have carbs or we don't have carbs, depending what you want. But base idea is that the whole blend is every month tailored to you based on your workout profile. And then the cool thing we implemented early on already is that when you do a workout, think about it, you go for a run, you are tracking that on your Apple Watch, or you go for a bike ride, you use Trava, or you go and use a Peloton, or you use a home fitness device. All that data can flow into Elo if you so want. And if you do that, then you get the real-time notification after your ride or run or training, how much protein you need. And that's been a game-changing for some people because people don't really know when to take protein, what is the ideal timing, what is the ideal dosing. And, and we created that, and, and the feedback has been immensely good over the last few months. Yeah, it's incredible. I've never heard anything quite like it. Can you give us an example of how the recommendation might change based on us just going for a gentle 5k versus us doing something closer to a half marathon distance in running, for example. Absolutely. So um, in my case, I'm, um, I do a lot of uh, cycling. Um, so I do like two things mainly. I do cycling three, four times a week, and then I, then I rock climb about three or four times a week. And rock climbing is something I still try to compete a bit. But they're very different because, you know, cycling is like long distance endurance. Climbing is more like this sort of um, explosive uh, full power type of thing in bouldering. So they are very different. And if I would do one week when, or one month when I only do rock climbing, um, I would basically have a very different type of uh, uh, protein plant. I wouldn't need to have carbs that are helping my recovery and replenish my body. Uh, I wouldn't need to have electrolytes at all because I don't really sweat that much when I do like an hour at the gym. Uh, when I do five-hour rides on the, on the wild, it's very different. So basically my... The blend is being calculated based on what I did the previous month. And then if I do, let's say, uh, a five-hour bike ride, uh, it's all about, you know, if you think about what's important in the, in the amino acids and protein, uh, one of the key pieces that is helping the muscle synthesis is uh, leucine. So leucine is the amino acid that is the most important one in many ways. And, of course, there are other ones as well. We want to do full brands, you know, um, amino acid blend for you. Um, but the leucine amount is one of the key pieces. And then there's a lot of debate in the industry that, you know, how much leucine you need after uh, exercise per kilogram. And I think there's a, there's a gap. You can't uh, ab absorb more than a certain amount. But there's a lot of, you know, <laughs> uh, dialogue today that some of the recommendations that we had in the past are quite wrong. Uh, pea, for example, pea protein is likely not as soluble or bioavailable for you as you know the whey protein and there are new protein blends coming out in the market today that might be even more available for your body because if we think about like you know there's amount of leucine in, in all of these but is it as bioavailable so we are looking like very detailed like what type of protein you have pee away and then trying to give you the right amount of leucine so for example if i do an hour at the gym i'm going to have one scoop recommendation if i do two and a half hour bike ride i'm going to have a two and a half scoop likely recommendation so it's a very um, different amount of protein. And what we are now doing is pretty cool. It's not out yet, but we are testing it now, which is basically giving uh, people um, a recipe for if you want to do a smoothie, for example. Some people do it just with water. Many people do that's fine. It tastes good. Um, but if you do it with a, a smoothie, we're going to have soon recipes on the app that are designed based on your goals and your activity and so forth. So we're going to double help you to get the right stuff. And that's pretty, pretty powerful. Yeah, it's super powerful stuff. And I can see the interest from an athletic perspective. But the big problem I find with everyday people is that 
they don't necessarily know whether they're thriving, but kind of as you alluded to earlier, men are always super aware of how they're feeling. And a lot of people, as long as they can show up to their meetings, as long as they can arrive to work on time, as long as they can, you know, go to the social that they want to on a Thursday or Friday night, they're pretty okay with, you know, how they're performing in life. How much application does this have to the everyday person versus an athlete? Well, I think we, we built this product for, for athletes and, um, and you know, you, 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 I think you allude already in a way that this product can be used in many different ways. And, and today, yes, we built a, a specific application now for more people who want to recover. It's a recovery type of product, but you know, the same thing could, could and will likely be used fairly soon as a meal replacement as well. So there's a, there's a big dilemma, I think, today in nutrition that um, many of us, we get too many calories. But if you look at people who are 40 or older, especially women, they don't get enough protein. And, um, you know, you, you know sure. this super well because you work in the field that if you are 45 and, and you are looking at, you know, I want to lose weight, for example, it's super important to also consider the fact that you don't want to lose muscle because you can only gain muscle until, until you're like, you know, 55 if you're 60, it's going to be very difficult to gain muscle anymore. So it's almost like you, you want to have a certain amount of muscle in your body at the age of 55. Otherwise, you're going to be frail when you are 70. You can live up to you know, 90, but then the last 10 years, you're going to have, you, can, you can't get up from bed or from the chair easily because you don't have the muscle. I mean, that, that's something that you know, most people don't think about. If you think about the health span and the lifespan, health span means that you can live good life yourself um, independently. And, you know, lifespan, of course, means like how long you're going to be here before you're going to be dead. And many people think that does the same thing, but they are not. There's often a gap of, you know, even 10 years gap between the health span and the lifespan. And the last 10 years are going to be miserable. None of us want to live in a way that we, we are in tubes on a, in a bed for last, you know, two to three years. We want to be active and rather, you know, go with the bang <laughs> than go with the, with the slow decay. So that's something that I think is really important for people when you think about protein. And I think there's a big application for the woman, for example, who are 45 plus to get a really good protein product that they can actually know how to do it. And, and of course, like you know, uh, protein, you can always take too much. And there are a lot of Tim rats out there who, who have been eating protein like way too much. And like I said, there's an upper limit. And, and just keep in mind that a protein basically in your body it, it works to build muscle. It's fuel for your body. It's very powerful. But it's also, if you, if you take protein too frequently all the time throughout the day, you think about it, you eat like a protein bar every two hours. That's the worst thing you can do to your body because then you are initiating the growth hormones, your growth factor in your body. And you can also grow cancer and tumors and stuff like that. So you need to be sophisticated thinking a bit about like when do you do protein, at what time I'm going to replenish my body to help my muscles heal and grow. And then when do I want to do something else? So many people do protein totally wrong. And I would caution people of doing like protein all the time throughout the day. Not a good idea. What's your general recommendation on protein for, let's say, females over the age of 40, 45? It depends a bit on, on you know, your, your you know, activity level and, and your, your size. But, you know, um, I, I don't want to, I don't say like a cram amount. Um, I think you can go to Ello.health Ello um, website. We have a lot of blog posts about it today. You can read about it there. Um, but I don't, I can't give you like a one, one amount of, of cramps because it depends by people. Yeah, absolutely. But let's say a typical woman who's maybe just started a little bit of resistance training. Um, she's not super active. She's fairly sedentary in her work and she wants to drop a little bit of body fat. Of course, you're going to need the measurements and everything along those lines, but if you're able to give someone a rough guide, because I'm sure there's many women listening with their ears open now, like, okay, but where do I go with this? <laughs> I would rather not give like a, because again, like I said, we, we try to be specific on this. <laughs> and and there's a there's a aspect, I, I mean, one something's like, you know, like how much dosing, you know, like people ask me all the time, like vitamin D, I talk about that quite a bit. And I just don't want to give a dosing because, I mean, for me, it was 10,000 IU of vitamin D I need. And, and it, it will be a bit dependent on who you are. And I, I want to avoid this idea that, you know, I can give a blanket statement or something on any, any dosing because it's, it's not going to be easy. And I, my, I try to build everything we do at ELO. I try to make it very precise <laughs> and scientific. Um, and there's so many people saying that, you know, here's a one rule of thumb, use it. I'm, 
I don't disagree with that idea, but I don't want to be one of those people who are giving rules of thumbs. Yep, that's that's completely fair. And I think that the main thing that we can look at is, yeah, the individual themselves and obviously look at their needs and then tweak things here and there to essentially find what's right for them. The challenge that I have is obviously there's not really much of a middle ground. There's like kind of these government recommendations where if you look at the vitamin D, it's like barely 1,000 IU a day. And then there's someone like yourself saying you're taking 10,000. So I think what needs to be done is potentially finding a middle ground, understanding that everyone's specific, but I think that there's almost too much of the extreme ends of the spectrum, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I think, and the vitamin D, by the way, like why is it 10,000 is that um, my my team, um, so I'm from in Northern Finland, um, my ancestry is certain type and we realized that you know i have two mutations in my dna that i don't metabolize vitamin d well dna told me that i could have i'm likely having those mutations and by testing my blood my team validated i actually do have both of them active they are on my my epigenetics so i i got you know 3000 IU vitamin d it didn't go up at all i was at the teens like way below the ideal level. It took me a year and a half to get back on track. I has, had sequenced my extended family in Finland. They all had the same mutation. They all had the same problem before COVID, and we were able to help them to get the vitamin D up, and none of, none of them died of COVID. So that was a kind of good example. But you know, again, it was very precisely about my mutation that's fairly rare. Very few people in, in the U.S. have this mutation, for example. And for the protein... I think it's even more important to point out that what type of protein are you having? Are you, you know, having a protein from the eggs or are you having it from the chicken breast or are you having it from protein powder or the vegan powder? It really depends a lot what type of application you are you are getting the protein from. And um, it, that was not as easy as maybe having a gram amount like you normally see. And there's a really, really good podcast, I think, Peter Attia, uh, he interviewed uh, a person who is actually the person who helped to define the guidance. And I think, if I remember correctly, uh, the guidance is coming from a study that was done in in sub-Saharan Africa for boys who were 15 or so years old. That was, and they were looking at like malnourishment, how much protein is needed to, to not be malnourished. So that study is kind of the baseline study uh, for the current protein recommendations we have in our society in the in the textbooks. So I mean, is the you know forty five year old woman uh, in somewhere in in England or in in the US the same as the fifteen year old boy in the sub Saharan Africa? Likely not. So it's always interesting when you have some of these kind of rules of thumb in in nutrition, and you I want to always go like, what is the source of truth? What is the crown truth? behind this number and when you go all the way there you sometimes surprise yourself that wow it's pretty pretty not sophisticated yeah absolutely i think there are many different reference points and i think like you said it's just about finding the best option for you and if you go based on a recommendation and that's where you get started yet you don't feel potentially the effects of that that's probably when you did a little bit deeper and you mentioned that you did blood work and obviously had supplementation based on that as well what were some of the key biomarkers that you were looking at uh, when it comes to optimizing someone's performance or optimizing someone's health yeah there are a lot of things you could look and and today the good thing is that um, uh, with covid um, the at-home collection and testing became more common uh, so it's lowering the bar- barrier and lowering the price for doing blood work because if you normally go to your doctor what they're going to test is going to be um, cholesterol, uh, your LDL, triglycerides, HDL. They're going to look at your A1C for your diabetes marker. Uh, they maybe look at you know your complete uh, blood panel with the white blood cells and inflammation and stuff like that. But it's a pretty standard thing we have done for a long time. And even that is usually not done every year. It's done sporadically. And there's this element that is kind of interesting for, I think, people to know. Uh, a lot of the da- data and the testing that we have today in healthcare is done when people are sick. Think about yourself. Like, when do you get tested? You get tested when you when you go to a doctor office and you are complaining about something. So we are trying to detect. So we don't really have that many people tested who are healthy <laughs> when they are healthy. So the, a lot of the data we have today is skewed because of the fact we are testing people when they are sick. And and if you go, if you ever been in a hospital, uh, you get tested every day. So we are doing billions of tests today every year, 
but not many of them are done to people who are healthy. So I think it's really good that we are now testing more healthy people. And what we decided to do at Elo, we, we wanted to do like that sort of a complete view of your health and, and then add a little bit of vitamins and minerals. So we today are doing the lipid panel, um, you know, the uh, HDL, LDL, triglycerides, total cholesterol. We look at the A1C for your diabetes. We look at inflammation, homocysteine. We look at iron, uh, ferritin for your uh, iron levels, which is kind of important for women especially. And then we're looking at vitamin D and vitamin B12. And now we are looking to add a few more. Uh, we want to add hormones like testosterone, um, THS for women. We want to add, you know, uh, maybe omega-3 panel. It's interesting because many people have omega-3, omega-6. Uh, it's upside down. So that will be kind of the panel that is, is a good baseline to understand. And very few people have ever done that whole panel. And when you do that, by the way, and we have done thousands of these, so we, we have the data, but 90% of people, 90% of people who are quite healthy, they do have something on the yellow or red. And what we did at Elo, we wanted to really make an effort uh, to understand what is the yellow area. So when you go to your doctor today, they are looking at this in a way that if you are under a certain mark or a certain threshold, then you're healthy. If you're over, you're sick. So it's very binary that, you know, your number goes over to the red, then you're going to be medicated or you're going to be a chronically sick person. And if you're under, or just under, they don't really say anything to you. They don't, they don't tell you what to do. So at ELO, we extended that uh, yellow band and really be able to help you and, and highlight, that, you know, there's a warning light now. There's something you need to do or you can do before you get sick. And that's something is missing completely in the healthcare system today. Uh, but also, like I said, you know, there's innovation happening in the, in, in the sensor side, like, you know, the, the new patches or, you know, things that we can put in our body to collect data. There's also a lot of happening in the, in the blood testing side. And in the next few years, you will be able to do uh, 100 to 200 biomarkers like 20 times more than today at the price point of 100 bucks. And, and that will be a game changer because then uh, today we test one or two things at a time, but in the, in the future we can test everything, at, everything every time from everybody. And we can actually find out these uh, underlying issues that we don't know today. And um, your, your earlier point about HRV is super interesting because HRV was something that we didn't know what it means earlier. But now we are able to start to correlate HRV to other things. Think about if you have like a full panel of all your biomarkers and you can connect that with the wearable devices like the sleep and, and recovery. I bet we can find out things that we had no idea. And I think we can find out correlations that we didn't know before. So that to me is super interesting field today. Yeah, it is super interesting. And when I often get super excited about the technology and all the advancements that we're making, I also wonder, does it need to be so complicated? If you ever stop and think about it, it's like, well, you know, 100 years ago, we weren't maybe living quite as long or as debatable. Let's say 200 years ago, we didn't have modern medicine. We didn't have the ability to have such extensive and intricate surgery and everything along those lines. But we were able to live pretty healthily and pretty well. We went and hunted for our food and we cooked it in a somewhat sanitary manner for that time. But we have that common sense and we have that availability of things now. So do you ever think that we maybe are beginning to over rely on technology rather than just listen to our instincts of what true health can really mean and i know that we're battling against marketing about the chemical concoctions of food that are being created these days but if we go to places like you are in, in super uh, rural areas of europe where they're drinking good wine they're eating good fish and they're just kind of enjoying time with their friends and their family and they seem to be still getting it right do you ever find yourself conflicted between the technological advances which seem amazing but also the simplicity of health that we could actually live i mean 100 percent and and um, you know having having been involved in um, in building the mobile devices you know back in the days that uh, basically have had the biggest impact on our lives out of anything i think we have ever invented think about it, you spend five hours with your phone every day and um, it it changed almost everything in a way we live our life and just go back in time think about when you had when you when you went into an event or city and and you didn't find your friend because you didn't agree at the right time, I mean that never happens. Uh, you never get lost. I mean, like people people lost ability to navigate um, in a city and read a map in the last five ten years. 
I mean, like we have lost a ton of different things that we did before. Like the street smart we had before as a as a society, as a human beings, is almost zero today because of the smartphones. Uh, I mean, we are too reliant on tech today. Uh, so at the same time, you know, it's done a lot of great things. Like you know, we can we can communicate in a different way. We can do things we we only we couldn't imagine before. Like think about in San Francisco, I'm being in a in a pilot and a beta group now for six months. Where if I if I click a button on my app on phone, there will be a cruise car. Cruise is the the self driving car company. The car comes to my home and picks me up uh, to a new lawyer. There's no driver. It's a car driving to my home, picking me up and driving me to the city. I mean, that's insanely cool. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean it will change everything. When it, it, this is live today. I, I, I do it. I mean, it's insane. Um, you know, we have a chat CDP and we have, you know, AIs that are now talking to us like real people. You don't know the difference, really. We are we are close of you know this idea that you know um, the Turing test is passed by by computers. So, like, this only thing we we know for a fact is that the evolution is about change, and the speed is getting increased, and we can never slow down this anymore. It just moves faster and faster. So the tech is here to stay, but your point is really good: is that is is the tech to tech built to drive us or is it to build to help us? Um, some people say today that in 20 years from today, 90% of the work will be done by, by AI and the computers. Um, I would say that today already, 70% of people are being told by computer what to do. If you think about their work and, and your life, I mean, somehow the smartphone and the systems in your workplace uh, they are telling you what to do. We are already part of machine today. Um, so we are living that already much deeper than most people even think about. And But when it comes to health and and, um, and knowing yourself, I, I think this idea that, you know, you you want to know yourself, uh, you want to live in the now. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Eckhart Tolle, uh, Power of Now book, for example, that talks about, you know, the power of being in the moment, being present. Yeah, it's super important, and we are really getting getting worse and worse at that every day. Uh, so I'm I'm worried, uh, but I think we can solve many of the problems today we are facing that are the uh, climate change and uh, kind of the sort of health crisis we are today. We can likely solve them with tech, but it might look a bit different than we expect today. And that's why I'm so uh, proud about kind of the team at, at Aura what they did because. You know, this this ring, for example, it is ambient completely. It doesn't have a screen. It doesn't have a Viper. It doesn't do anything to you. It's just a passive thing that you can then look at the data if you want. It doesn't come to your face every day. Um, you can initiate it when you want. And that is, I think, the right way to do things more with tech. Make it more ambient. I mean, I will, I'm happy to have sensors in my body uh, to, to track me. But I don't need to know that data every day. But I would be excited to know when there's something wrong and it telling me to go to a doctor or do this or that. That I would be happily you know, doing. But it's a really big question. And it's, a, it's much bigger than just you know, this one area. It, it's all our life. And, and also even like um, the question of who are we as species? I mean, like why do we exist as, as humans? Um, I mean, it's a very big extensive question that comes with this uh, tech. Absolutely. And that's probably for part two or round two of this podcast in the future. But on that note as well, the final couple of questions I want to finish off with, I mean, I've got a big question in just a moment, but I want to come back to that point you just made. And I think that that's probably part of the reason why you're in this industry, right? Like if you want something done in what you see as an ethical and a proper way, that's where you get involved, right? And you try to steer the ship in that direction. I mean, I'm one one you know piece in a, in a massive puzzle, and you know you try to do things that you know you think are valuable um, for you, and and you want to live life in a way that you you maybe ideally leave the place in a better condition than you you inherited it. That's kind of my principle: is that you know you try to have a minimal footprint, and and if possible, you can you can maybe even leave something positive after you you are done. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, it, if you if if you build if you if you're able to build something that you know 
um, can move the things in the right direction. And maybe if you can be a voice of of reason a little bit when we think about uh, uh, there are a lot of people who say that you know the AI is the biggest uh, risk we have for humanity. Um, that you know the AI can take over and the AI can kill all of us. I mean, I mean maybe the Terminator was not uh, not wrong after all. Uh, so those are kind of the things that I, I I talk a lot about with my my peers and and we think about like how how do we try to do things ethically right and and I, in my case I try to you know look at the, the healthcare from perspective you know the Hippocratic oath and and you know never do harm start from the principle first and never do any harm um, like for example in LO we we test all our products with third party labs we we never take the new products out that have no reserves. We don't do crazy stuff. We don't hyperdose stuff, and we try to be sensible and reasonable about it, and 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 avoid doing any harm. Amazing, and that ties into my last question today: is what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you're doing? But I think you've covered a fair amount in your answer just then. <laughs> well, I think you know, I I, I started a company called Credit Doctor uh, after you know losing my my first uh, son, and um, the idea of the company, the tagline was. Uh, to help million people find a better doctor, and as I said already, when people are in in bad health, uh, they are at their weakest, and at that time they need help. So, you know, we we built a company, and I think today we have been helping on some level over two hundred million people to find a doctor. So, I mean, I went two hundred times over my initial goal with the first company. So, I can be pretty happy about that and I'm, I'm, I'm really proud about the, what the team did and what the company is still doing today I'm not involved anymore yeah absolutely and where's the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing Ari yeah I'm easy to find on the social mediums uh, Ari Tulla um, I, I think I'm the only one with my name so if you google me it's the first 50 pages <laughs> likely my name <laughs> and, uh, and then my company uh, is uh, you can find it at elo.health not elo.com somebody is keeping the domain um, much bigger company than we are uh, but elo.health and um, and you can find us on instagram elo.health and you know tiktok and um, and twitter and linkedin as well um, and also you know elo.health uh, website has a is a blog where we have a lot of content about nutrition we we write every day um, there are more than 500 pieces already we try to be this sort of a realistic uh, credible uh, source for uh, some questions you might have Ari, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for this conversation today. Hey, thank you. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.